Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Gotta love that mid-90s experimental synth vibe. That's Orbital, whose other major hit song, Halcyon and On and On, is pretty good. Although I can't help but think of that scene from The Big Lebowski, where the dude is taking a bath, and the guys from Autobahn come in and threaten his Johnson. Yeah, he believes in nothing. He believes in nothing, Lebowski, nothing. And tomorrow, we come back and we cut off your Johnson. Excuse me? I said we cut off your Johnson! Hi, I'm Reese Hendrick host of Science Factual, and this week we're hacking into the internet 2021 for a deep dive into the 1995 cyberpunk classic Johnny Mnemonic, starring Keanu Reeves, Ice-T, Dolph Lundgren, Dina Meyer, and a hypersentient dolphin named Jones. As we wait for that dial-up connection to go through, we'll get into some facts behind the movie and cast, the inspiration behind the film, as well as an interview with Ben Harkins at the Funhouse Lounge. We met up between a showcase I was on and the Midnight Mic, where you'll hear Ben's set from that night. Make sure to check out upcoming shows at the Funhouse Lounge in Southeast Portland by visiting them online at funhouselounge.com for showtimes and tickets. There's an awesome Star Trek The Next Generation parody show called USS Improvise that I'm dying to see. They really know how to appeal to the inner nerd most Portlanders possess. It's at this point that I'm going to issue a spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you're just waking up from a 27-year cryo sleep, then this particularly applies to you. But to everyone else, you had plenty of time to see this movie. So take this as your forewarning in case you haven't. Looks like that dial-up connection finally went through, so without further delay, let's upload 160 gigs of Johnny Mnemonic facts, but don't hold on to them for too long. Here's a quick synopsis of the movie. In this film, based on the William Gibson story, Johnny, played by Keanu Reeves, is a data courier who has a secret stash of information implanted into his mind. However, the data will kill Johnny if he cannot retrieve it within 48 hours. Accompanied by physically enhanced bodyguard Jane, played by Dina Meyer, Johnny sets out to acquire the passwords he needs to save himself and offload the data. Worse yet, he's hunted by gangster Shinji, played by Dennis Akiyama, and businessman Takahashi, played by Takeshi, both of whom seek the data Johnny possesses. Alright, time for factual download. The movie is based on a short story by sci-fi author William Gibson, who has an extensive catalog including the original Johnny Mnemonic short story, published in Omni Burning Chrome in 1986 as part of a series published that and the following year, which introduces the character Molly Minions, who we all know in the movie as Jane, Dina Meyer's character. In fact, in the short story version of Johnny Mnemonic, the protagonist isn't really Johnny, but instead Molly Millions, a major character in Neuromancer, 
another series uh, by Gibson. Speaking of Dina Meyer, I had been initially introduced to her in Starship Troopers, an episode which we will most definitely be doing in the future. However, this was her breakout role in Johnny Mnemonic, and she kind of does a great job for her first time up at bat on the big screen. Getting into other characters, we have Udo Kier playing Ralphie, the two-timing underworld boss who ends up double-crossing Johnny into accepting the data job that sets the events of the film in motion. Udo is most recognizable, at least to me, as the ultra-rich guy from Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Not a sci-fi movie, but a comedy, which is definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen that one in a while. Perhaps the most ridiculous role was that of Dolph Lundgren playing the character Street Preacher, whom Gibson and first-time-slash-last-time director Robert Longo, who when they went to turn the short story into a movie, had to make room for Dolph. Dolph Lundgren, most notably of Rocky IV fame, playing Ivan Drago, the Russian behemoth, uh, his character in Giant Demonic seems kind of shoehorned in. He imbues all of his lines, which are biblical misquotes, uh, with an orgasmic pleasure. It's that his appearance in the film seems like an afterthought, really. Uh, you know, it's, it's as though the filmmakers, once finished making the film, realized that they were ten minutes short. So there ends up being this short subplot about a priest named Carl who is mostly made of robot parts and is also a killer for hire? As confusing as this character is, he is absolutely wonderful. I mean, Lundgren's performance makes you wish that he had been the main bad guy instead of, like, this other guy, Laser Whip. And at one point, he freezes a guy's robo-hand and smashes it, which makes zero sense, but it is, like, super metal. He gets shot, stabbed, and hit by a bus, but none of that kills him. What does it take to kill a man who has become technology? A dolphin and a microwave. In his final showdown with Keanu Reeves and friends, Starship Troopers Dina Meyer and Jones the Dolphin maneuver a satellite to shoot microwave energy at Lundgren until it cooks his body while Keanu Reeves watches from behind a net. Duh. God, holy fuck, it's crazy to me what people will spend on ridiculous movie plots instead of on our actual socioeconomic problems. It's like we're actually heading for that dystopian society depicted in the movie. Wee. Henry Rollins, who plays Spider in the film, has famously said something to the effect that if someone is going to pay him to do something, he'll do it. I mean, he did show up in the Jackass movies. So, bless him for taking on the role of Spider, a jacked ex-corporate doctor. He basically only exists to provide exposition for Johnny and Carl Honig, and also run Honig over with a bus, which is a great scene. While Henry Rollins is not a dummy, he does write poetry for goodness sake, uh, he will eternally look like a meathead. So how did the director of Giant Demonic think he could make Rollins look like a doctor? Big old glasses, of course. It's not Rollins's best look. When analyzing the plot, it turns out that there's an evil shadow corporation behind it all, Pharmacom. They're the ones who sick the Yakuza on Johnny because they know what's inside Johnny's computer brain, the cure to a mass play called NAS. That's Nerve Attenuation Syndrome, a.k.a. the Black Shakes. If it stays incurable, Pharmacom can keep treating it half-acidly. They don't want Johnny spoiling their profits. So it's a big, big pharma cover-up. In our 2021, in our global pandemic, could such a plotline be construed as, in fact, prophetic? 
Pfizer, Moderna, they aren't withholding any cures. Quite the opposite. They're rushing out efficacious COVID vaccines in lockstep with federal guidelines to the people who need them the most. Yet, pharmacomish suspicions still remain. Even a small, deep-down part of you may want to believe them, these big, out-there seductions. Microchips in the medicines, cheaper therapies they are actively suppressing. Paranoia has coursed through this COVID catastrophe like water, which fluoridation has definitely made stupidifying. In the first week of 2021, New York Magazine published a cover story by a novelist claiming that SARS-CoV-2 was born in a lab, not as a weapon, no, no. This isn't science fiction. Just some US-funded Chinese virologists hot-swapping mutant spike proteins in the name of research and in the process of manufacturing a human-infecting virus that accidentally gets out and spreads globally. Sort of like what happens in 28 Days Later or Rise of the Planet of the Apes, depending on what generation you're from and the level of paranoia that you ascribe to. Wired Magazine Online makes a great point about the parallels between the movie and the actual reality that we all face in the 2020s. In the end, the world is saved by a cybernetic dolphin named Jones. He doesn't talk, but his are still more expressive than Keanu's yes. In Gibson's 2021, dolphins excel at decryption. The Navy likes to Shanghai them into service, during times of war for use in counter-espionage. His skull is on the verge of exploding. Johnny speeds to Jones' hideaway tank where the cetacean super genius is wired to a network through which he can perform various quantum code breaks, where he yanks the data out just in the nick of time. The cure to NAS is broadcast worldwide, and Keanu can finally relax with that $10,000 a night hooker. Our Navy really has experimented on dolphins for next-gen sonar, but here in the present, our biocryptography efforts are mostly limited to snapping photos of random T-cells to generate unclonable, uncrackable security keys. Which is awesome, and possibly our best theoretical defense against Jonesian quantum hacking, but definitely not sexy enough for sci-fi. Not that Gibson wasn't onto something, however. In fact, his most prescient, yes, prescient, point goes far beyond information warfare and the machinations of megacorporations. It's about the physicality, the very corporeality of the web itself. Also, I'd like to mention that Johnny Mnemonic is solely a William Gibson story. It has nothing to do with Cyberpunk 2077 and its setting other than being the inspiration for Cyberpunk's RPG setting. However, Keanu Reeves does voice the character from Cyberpunk 2077 named Johnny Silversmith, but Keanu didn't just lend his voice and likeness to the role either. He also did the motion capture for Johnny and got to play around with some of his mannerisms and behaviors. The script was rumored to have been dumped on the doorstep of Keanu Reeves' house, a tactic that piqued his interest and led him to accepting the role of Johnny Mnemonic. At one point, Johnny's brain implant is detected by a security scanner and is falsely reported as a device for counteracting dyslexia. Keanu Reeves does in fact suffer from the disorder in real life. Despite being based directly on a Gibson short story, William Gibson was very unhappy with what became of this adaptation of his own story. Despite being credited as the sole screenwriter, he has insisted for years that it wasn't his screenplay that was ultimately produced. 
While the film is based on William Gibson's short story, Johnny Mnemonic, it also draws heavily on his later novel, Virtual Light. Virtual Light is a science fiction novel set in a dystopian cyberpunk future. The term virtual light was coined by scientist Stephen Beck to describe a form of instrumentation that produces optical sensations directly in the eye without the use of photons. This synopsis definitely doesn't give anything away regarding the plot of this story, so be sure to check it out when you have the time. The film was shot on location in Canada, with Toronto and Montreal filling in for Newark, New Jersey, and Beijing, China, respectively. Several local sites, including Toronto's Union Station, Montreal Skyline, and Jacques Cartier Bridge, feature prominently throughout the film. I honestly thought it was like a model of the George Washington Bridge. Isn't that the one that leads from New Jersey to New York? I don't know. One of them does. Maybe a few of them. Val Kilmer was originally set to star in the role, but left the project after he was offered the role of Batman in Batman Forever, uh, also filmed in 1995. Kilmer later played Chris Chalaris in Heat in 1995, a role that Keanu Reeves alternatively was in early talks for, but ultimately turned down. Probably for speed. Not the drug. Uh, He's famously, like, not a drug guy. I mean, the movie with Sandra Bullock and uh, Gene Hackman, and it's super awesome. It's a great mid-90s action film. Uh, Definitely check that out if you haven't seen it. At one point, Johnny asked if they stuck the Library of Congress in his head, and as of 2019, that was estimated for only books to be anywhere from 10 terabytes to 100 terabytes worth of data depending on how said books were scanned and compressed. This is not counting other digital assets that the library curates, such as images, music, and movies, which has to be tons and tons of terabytes more. That would make the Library of Congress, at a minimum, 32 times the size of the data that Johnny's head was even capable of storing. At another point, Johnny apparently takes a Concorde to Newark, New Jersey from Beijing. In real life, the Concords were retired in 2003. That would make it a full 18 years before the events of the film take place. At around 44 minutes of runtime... Levi, go lay down. No more chips. You're gonna get me in trouble with Mama. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, so at, at around 44 minutes of runtime, uh, the street preacher slash assassin Carl uses a video phone hidden in a book uh, rather than a Latin Bible that appears to be embedded in pages 103 uh, to 104 of the Venerabilis Caesaris Baroni S.R.E. Cardinalis Bibliothecari Epostolae et Apostula Piragoe. Nunc primum ex archetypus in lucem iruta, a collection of Latin works by the venerable Cesare Baroni, who lived from 1538 to 1607, an Italian cardinal and Catholic historian. The passages on these pages bear a eulogistic adulation of Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II, from, who reigned from 1552 to 1612, a contemporary of Cesare's. While both characters are interesting, the book and passage seem to have no significant bearing on the movie, so most likely this book and page were selected arbitrarily only as a convenient piece of Christian-looking Latin boilerplate rather than being any kind of Easter egg or having any significance to the film in and of itself. 
If you happen to watch the film recently with English subtitles in the on setting on Netflix, you'll see that Johnny's use of the word iPhone, E-Y-E phone, in the original is listed as iPhone, the lowercase i, capital phone, that we're all familiar with now. Uh, is that further predictive lore pertaining to the film? Who knows? Perhaps it's just somebody at Netflix being cheeky with the subtitle editing. In 2021, uh, which recently just passed, Robert Longo, the director, created a new version of the film entirely in black and white. As he told ScreenSlate, quote, When I saw the first version of the black and white film, I was just so happy. I knew turning it black and white would get it closer to where I imagined it from the very beginning. In my work, I take inspiration from films like Alphaville in 1965, La Jetée in 1962, and things like that. A lot of black and white movies are not really black and white. They're kind of gray. The contrast is really pumped up now, and in this cut it certainly is, so it's very black and white. I haven't seen this rendition, but I'll put it somewhere along medium on the watch list for sure. I guess I could just run it back with a filter that's black and white. I don't know. We'll see. Up next, we've got an interview with the very funny Ben Harkins, Portland comedian and Garfield aficionado, we talked about the movie in between shows we were on and got to talking with other comedians and audience members about the movie later that night. You can hear that segment at the end of the show. In the meantime, enjoy this interview. That, that's just me hating myself. Well, don't do that. I mean, there's plenty of horrible things in the world, you know, we're all just trying. Oh, that's so true. Uh, for the voice other than my own that you hear, that is, uh, that's Ben Harkins. Hey, what's up? Ben, before we start, what's, what's your Instagram? Uh, I'm on, uh, at, I'm at the Ben Harkins on Instagram. Okay. I post, um, been posting a lot of, uh, Garfield stuff lately, if you're into Garfield art. I've seen and, it. And, um, some other... I am into it. They, yeah. Although this isn't a Monday... This is this is very much a Friday. This is a Friday, the best uh, best of all days, the holiest of days in the Garfield uh, pantheon. Yeah, that's 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 the last day that the lasagna is okay. Yeah, lasagna is always good. <laughs> lasagna is always good. That is uh, that's too true. Well, we're outside a Funhouse Lounge. Uh, typically, there's a midnight mic here, hosted by Noah Watson. He's he's funny. Yeah, I love Noah. Can't wait to. I uh, host a show, Dark Web, with him. He's a real funny dude. Yeah, I've seen Dark Dark Web a couple of times, and uh, I've I've come away with more than a couple of chuckles. So. Yeah, it's a lot of you know, just showing videos is fun, and you know, knows a great dude. He's like a little sober coal miner of a of a man. <laughs> He's very very young and very very uh, wise beyond his youth very funny yeah yeah his his delivery is uh somewhat somewhat of a rarity i would say yeah uh but we're here to talk johnny mnemonic yeah this uh really classic uh cyberpunk movie starring keanu reeves who yeah. has uh starred in almost every single cyberpunk movie I think I've ever seen. Yeah. He was in... You can't see me, but I'm shaking my head. Yes, right It's now. like Johnny Mnemonic, The Matrix, mm. 
Scanner Darkly kind of mm. qualifies. Scanner Darkly is so good. Mm, good movie. Oh. Richard Linklater directed that. Fabulous movie. And um, he's also in the new Cyberpunk 2077 mm. uh, game that was released unfinished about but, a year ago. So I, I'm glad that we got to this off of, off the bat. Mm. The movie is it is it inspiration for the game? I I think that um, the game probably came out around the same time that the novel did. Mm. Like Johnny Mnemonic was a novel before it was right. a movie, obviously. And this movie is kind of like I, I wouldn't say it's like the first like cyberpunk movie because Blade Runners probably most people agree that like, mm. Blade Runners the first time you saw like a cyberpunk aesthetic on the big screen. I would certainly place it in that category, yeah. Yeah, but um, Johnny Mnemonic gets a little bit... It's a bit more of a technological story mm. than Blade Runner. <clears throat> Blade Runner's kind of philosophical. Oh, for sure. And, like, deep. Uh, Johnny Mnemonic has, like, that, like, has the ingredients of, a, like, a deep uh, technological story. Well, in that 90s uh, CGI... You know, it, it's bad, but it's also so like good. it's cool. Like, and it takes place in what they thought like the internet would look like. Everybody thought the internet was going to look like a video game that you glide through with big glowing walls, yeah. And you're going to have like virtual reality gloves. Well, and did, did you did you watch uh, Toonami on, on cartoon? So like yeah. reboot. The, the graphics in that, I, I have a note in here to look it up. I haven't looked it up yet, but to see if the graphic artists behind Reboot were the ones behind Johnny Mnemonic, because it has such a similar feel. It, I see what you mean. I don't know if it would have to be the same artist, just because like, that seemed to be what uh, like computers were capable of doing <laughs> visually at the time. Like This movie is really kind of... like It exists without a time. Yeah, because it's sure. taking place in 2021. It's made in like what, like 92, or 95, yeah, yeah, 95, mm. and it's, it has that feel, like what they thought like, 2021 was going to be like. Based yeah, and the, on technology the technology is of so 95. disjointed. Like yeah. the guy is <laughs> smuggling two gigabytes of data in right. his head, and he had to th like delete his entire childhood right. to do this as a job. <laughs> like, I have hard like, drives that have more bullshit than, yeah. than he was storing as a mission. As a small... <laughs> you could hide, like, a flash drive the size of a... Uh, like, a fingernail... Right. That would... That can contain 200 gigs. So it doesn't point. track, is what you're saying. Well, it's not just, like, that they couldn't predict that, that like, data compression would be, like, different, and, like, we would be able to uh, do all like have way more data and just sort of email it instead of having somebody yeah. clean out their childhood like clear G up space in their head gmail has a larger send capacity than yeah like 200 <laughs> gigs it's not like it's it's not a small file size but that's definitely not like when he has 200 gigs in his head he's like i'm way overloaded yeah. man i'm gonna die in 24 uh, yeah. hours <laughs> yeah like it is going to seep into his brain and kill him if he doesn't get the data out yeah. like and i have a 256 iphone you know what i mean like yeah like that it they didn't really predict like the future and like in order to access the data you need to yeah. like fax a code that is like three images random images Im that you can never ascertain ever yeah unless <laughs> so you have to fax it across yeah if you want to unless you're smuggle a data fan. yeah you want to <laughs> smuggle data 
from uh, Japan to Newark, New Jersey, which is where the, most of the movie takes place. I've, the worst thing I've ever done in Newark was a layover. Like, yeah. like, <laughs> like I couldn't imagine heaven oh, being yeah, located like, in the George Washington Bridge. Yeah, like, heaven, <laughs> but the... Um, the headquarters of the uh, Lotex, a aka Ice all the T's. cool hiker Ice T, who is awesome in this movie. He's so my favorite good. part of the movie. He, he's um, proto uh, Law and Order SVU. Yeah, you know, like like, like his he, he glean, like when they looked at his uh, tape, his real for <laughs> SVU yeah. was just Johnny Mnemonic. Him yeah. being like, <laughs> I'm J Bone. J Bone, I run yeah. heaven. Yeah. With the low techs, and the low techs are I like the it. hackers who are like gonna blow the lid off of all this corporate fiasco. He or shoots whatever. a crossbow. They use the low techs <laughs> into, into use <laughs> crossbows, which doesn't make sense. They're not like actually low tech yeah. people. They're That's incredibly high tech. tech. Yeah, it's pretty high they tech. They have uh, a dolphin that was like yeah, augmented jo- by Jones, the navy. Yeah. Who's also probably the coolest part of? Like, I was expecting a George story. S. Patton type, you know, like a hardened Navy guy, mm-hmm. and it was a dolphin. Yeah, they made they put that in your head that it's going to be like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this guy, he was in the Navy, and it's actually like this sentient cybernetic warfare. Well, uh, I would, cyborg dolphin. I would argue that dolphins are sentient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do they speak English and do they take offense when, like, dudes in shark skin suits are like, it's a fish? No, no, probably not. (laughs) But but I I will say that. Jones is like, has the brain of a man. I I was discussing the Fermi paradox, you know, like, what is sentience even, you know, insofar as, like, a large, larger galactic scale. And, you know, locally, I would give it to dolphins. Yeah, that adds up. I mean, they fucking hang out and they pass around puffer fish getting high off of their right. venom and stuff. It's yeah, like, yeah. They know how to have fun, so I think that there's definitely uh, sentience to that. So, let me ask you this, Ben. Uh, what was your first exposure to Johnny Mnemonic? Because, to be honest, uh, other than seeing it when I was a boy, like a boy boy, uh, it, re-watching it th- this last week in order to do this episode was my most recent exposure my first exposure to Johnny Mnemonic, it was referenced pretty heavily on one episode of Third Rock from the Sun. Okay. Where, um... Big French Stewart. Stewart. Yeah, yeah, French Stewart, French Stewart was, yeah. kept saying Johnny Mnemonic. Like, it's... I think it was supposed to be implied that it's funny that Johnny Mnemonic was like a flop or something. And... <laughs> and um, it kind of was. And uh, that was, and I hadn't seen the movie until years later when I I read Snow Crash and I was like, what are some cyberpunk mm. movies? And I, Johnny Mnemonic came up, and I'm a big fan of Keanu, so I was like, this is gonna be cool. I'll check it out. It's probably gonna be bad, and it is. It's not a good movie. I don't think it's bad, but um, I, I think it's good for '95. For '95, but even like, it has all the ingredients of a cool sci-fi story and a good, mm. interesting. World and like, there's metaphors there. It's sort of an anti-capitalist movie, which is pretty cool. Totally. In so far as that, like, technology has overcome our individuality, and that we will sell ourselves in order to. Yeah, he literally you know. has compromised his humanity and his <laughs> right. childhood for his dream of being a yuppie, pretty much. Sure. And, and yeah. The, uh, well, and he, and he has that meltdown too, where he's like, "I just want a fucking apartment. I want a good view." I want fucking cabin, I want you know, room like, service. I want room service. I want cold beer and a $10,000 a night hooker. Who doesn't? 
up, man? God, we're talk about inflation. Thing. Join us, Cam. Oh, this wait, is, man. Yeah, Cam Strong joining the joining us on Science Factual. Have you seen we're Johnny Mnemonic? We're, yeah. Oh, it's been a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, we're talking about it. Oh, cool. Yeah. I remember Keanu. There's a, a dolphin in a tank of water. We just got. We just oh, talked oh, about Jones. <laughs> yeah. No. It's, well, hey. We, well, we were talking about like how they had the low techs had this lack of technology, yet they have this like sentient, hyper sentient dolphin. But they aren't, they're not a low-technology no. group. Their philosophy doesn't... Like, low-tech just sounds cool. Right. And it sounds punk rock. Yeah, they're, it's, they're it's that poor. anarchy symbol yeah. on, on Ice-T's forehead. But they have <laughs> an entire facility just for hacking the... Um, just for hacking You're the... Um, or if whenever you want to go up, oh, it's gosh. okay. You're on the show. It's I, okay. Yeah, I, mean, I can get you later. I just want to... You know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt... And no, that's it's, fine. You were on the list, and I'm just curious what your time frame looks like. Yeah, no, it, I, I could put you like before big. Like I could make you go last, or there's no one in there anyway. It doesn't matter. Okay, <laughs> that, that sounds like an open mic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, let's put a pin uh, in it and then uh, let's like, start again. Or <laughs> yeah, let's let's maybe yeah, let's put a pin in it. All right, and then we'll start it back up. Nothing yeah, like uh, nothing like doing a mic in front of seven people. like anything else. <laughs> yeah. It's all the same now. <laughs> right. Everything's depressing. It kind of sucks. Well, dude, Omicron has, like, put a serious damper on the whole scene. Yeah, my shows that didn't get canceled, like, uh, like shows are kind of taking a hit just because, like, people don't really want to come out. Mm. And I'm kind of like, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, or... It, it's, it, it's, it's a double-edged, a it's a double-edged sword. That's for certain. It's just like not a good time to be a comic. Hmm. It's a good time to write. Yeah, that's true. So getting getting back to Johnny Mnemonic, what was your first exposure to Keanu Reeves as a as an actor? Uh, definitely Bill and Ted. Same. Yeah, yeah Bill, and, Bill Ted. and Ted. Yeah. Iconic. Like I when I was a kid, I didn't realize that they were supposed to be stupid. I thought they were just cool. Like, uh, to me, they were a cooler Wayne's World. Yeah, they were like Wayne's World, but uh, I, I thought, like, uh, yeah, they were like cooler dudes because they, um, they well, their band was cool. My brother and I tried to start a band around that age. Yeah, and it failed. Yeah, uh, like, although he he found some commercial success with the Clams. The Clams. The Clams is a, a kind of a punk rock band. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, most bands, like, how do you define success with a band? I mean, I think it's, sure. uh, it's always just something that survives under its own you power. Could, you could equate it to stand-up fame. Yeah, I mean, it's not really, um, I don't know, do you want to be a fucking, uh, do you want to be a celebrity? Is it going to work out that way? Is that, I don't know. I it don't, usually I don't doesn't. Think. I don't think that really happens. No, it's a, it's it's pretty much a rarity. It's kind of a fluke. And, and for such a nice guy too, like Keanu, I've heard is a very nice guy. Notoriously chill. Right. He's Which a is, gentle person. Yeah. Who's had like a lot of like hard times, so people fucking uh, people like him because he's relatable. He's. Um, well, the one he thing they like, bring it back to is that his acting is basic, but it's like, dude, how are you gonna, you know, equate it to someone who's achieved more than what we've, like, we've aspired to? If you put somebody with like 
a certain range in the right movies, they're awesome. Like right. Schwarzenegger's not a good actor, but he's in some of my favorite movies. Yeah. It's like well, and, we'll, we'll and be Keanu covering Predator like, soon too, for and, sure. Yeah, and like Keanu, like he's—I've heard this before. Like where the Matrix is just like he's just like the perfect everyman that you project into like a hero's journey to have some sort of Freudian or uh, Jungian. Uh, Jungian for sure. Like. Uh, you project yourself onto the main character and Keanu people do that with him and it feels it feels right he's such a great action star because you feel much like you know John McClane or like you know in, or Keanu in, in speed you're like what would I do in that situation he, he always kind of you know invokes that thought like you know okay well maybe yes. I could do better but then at the end of the day when you fall asleep you're like I don't know if I could yeah, Speed's definitely another good one. Like that, like Keanu's been in a ton of good movies, and uh, the only time I've seen him where he's like made a movie worse was in Bram Stoker's Dracula, where mm. he has a really bad. That yeah. movie sucks it's pretty when bad. Keanu's in it, but the rest of the time that he's not in it, it's awesome. Yeah, like that's a good, sexy movie with like Gary Oldman and stuff. But I guess what happened is Keanu had come straight from another movie. And he yeah. was just exhausted and That'll burnt out, and he's like trying to do this, like, British accent right. that really isn't working. Not working so, at all. Um, but like, you can't. I can't even shit on the dude. He's John Wick now. Like, I don't. I don't hit a hundred percent of the time on stage. Yeah, like he's. Um, I don't hit near that. Yeah, most people don't. I don't think that's really the nature of it. But um, with uh, in Johnny Mnemonic. He does play a bit of a brat. Like, he's supposed to be this... Yeah. Uh, they describe him as an elite agent at the beginning. He's not. He has... There are so many... There's so much plot armor for <laughs> yeah. this guy. Oh, like, yeah. he... Oh, yeah. There's a sequence where over and over again, dudes just have the drop on him. He's like, ha ha, gotcha now, Johnny. And then he just always punches his way out of somebody having a gun on him or somebody rescues him. Well, Either they figured that out in John or, Wick. Now he just always has a gun. Yeah, just make it so he can actually fight his way out of right. it. Like, the action in Johnny Mnemonic, I don't think it's that good. The uh, story... <laughs> 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 it's always kind of awkward. The whole th And the, even the dialogue kind of feels like... Well, it is, it's like a PS1 game. There's feels like there's just weird pacing. It's, it's action movie dialogue. There's like space between all of the dialogue where yeah. I'm just like, I feel like I'm watching like a Resident Evil cutscene <laughs> where like nobody, there's a lot of people who are pretty bad actors in this movie. A lot of the henchmen are like he could have played Nemesis. Confusing. In the, <laughs> he would have been a great RE3. Nemesis. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like this, uh, yeah, I don't know, Keanu in this one. It's sort of a... This movie has... It's like an unbaked cake. It's like you got your eggs and your flour. You got every, you got your sugar. It's all in the movie, but it's not like... Well, I provided plenty of baking it's not before really the baked. movie. Like, it sucks. <laughs> like, I watched it twice right before this. And, I, and, like, I've seen the movie probably ten times. I used to just kind of throw it on. So you're a serial watcher. That that's that was one of my questions. You're, you watch movies. I've watched this yeah. a lot. Yeah, like, because yeah. I, I really do like cyberpunk literature and cyberpunk. When, when Cyberpunk 2077 was coming out, I was like, okay, you know what, this, I've been waiting for this game for a long time. Sure. Let, what, what can I do to, like, fill that void? And I kept watching Johnny Mnemonic being like, 
man, like, there's something kind of intriguing about this. Like, it is, they do kind of go for, it's a punk rock movie. It has Ice-T and it has Henry Rollins in it. That's kind of cool, but, like... I wish they had some Black Flag in there, just as a Easter egg. No, because they're trying to be like, no, in the future we listen to opera singers right. singing over techno, and that's yeah. what we do in nightclubs well, or whatever. So, wh- wh- which character do you identify with the most, and why? Um, because I'm kind of a Jones type. I I, I feel a little. I, I you feel like you're a dolphin stuck in a tank, hacking your way through television waves. I feel like I have a entirely online. I've got a blowhole, and mm-hmm. I use it. So I, I feel like there's the most direct um, association. I'd, I want to say I'm Dolph Lundgren's character, the mm. cybernetic yeah, the serial priest. killer priest who's oh. just filled with cyber what a character. parts. Realistically, I'm probably... Um, I wish they would have done more with him. I wish they would have had more cybernetic implants. It, you know, like because he kind of you know like sparks out when he gets you know fried up. They really gloss over a lot of the better elements in the movie just because they didn't have space for it. Like, I I feel like this would have made a better TV series. If they remade Johnny Mnemonic as a TV series, Mm. I think it would be better than the movie. Shout out out Netflix, maybe make a... I mean, I relate to Henry Rollins because he's just ranting about uh, how we're all sick because of all this shit and, like... Mm. uh, because of technological civilization, oh, we need all this shit because now, we can't live without it. Like he's a, I don't know. I like the uh, like the anarchist doctor guy. That I, I don't think that like any of the acting is that good. Henry Rollins like is cool for that role. Like the movie's cooler than it is good. But um, I would agree with that. Yeah, for certain because it, it has its its moments. Cinematically, but it's you know it, it it's it's a you very see the 1995 same thing movie. happen over and over again where yeah. it's just like either Johnny's passing out because he's got too much data in his head, or his bodyguard is passing out because she's got the uh, the imp- or the, the NAS NAS yeah. disease that is killing people. It's right. very um, <laughs> the black shakes. It, or they what keep have you. hitting the same notes over and over again. The plot becomes pretty redundant because. Mm. Johnny has so much plot armor that, like, you can't, he can't be killed, but everybody's just trying to kill him. Well, there's, Why don't a, there's they just actually take an argument. Him peacefully and get the data out of his head. That's an argument for a show, though. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if we, if we look at shows like, um. Is it Altered Carbon? Altered Carbon. Yeah. So, you know, like, that kind of has a little bit of a Johnny mnemonic feel, but a very post 2000s lens. Yeah, I think Altered Carbon, like, the metaphors are different in Altered Carbon, where it's just, like... Sure. Like, it's... Altered Carbon has entirely different themes. I think that Johnny Mnemonic is based pretty heavily in just yuppies benefiting and, like, the rise of, like, corporations over any sort of, like, morality or decency. There's a lot of social commentary there, for sure. You know, insofar as, you know, like, it it talks about, you know, corporatocracy. It talks about selling yourself, you know, for that corporate gain. 
Mm-hmm. You know, people. Even if you look at the those who are the Pharmacon defectors who want to give him the information in the first place, you know, like they're so yeah. afraid of that corporate structure getting after them that they, you know, like, and eventually it does. But they're very much on edge from the time right. that he arrives. Sure. By the time you meet them, they basically seem to know that they're dead. Yeah. That their yeah. their time is running out. Yeah. And um, well, and it speaks a little bit to whistleblowers nowadays. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, that's definitely the the deal there. They're just uh, there's people who realize that okay, we have the cure, but we're not releasing it because it's more profitable to not. And I I, I think it speaks to that in in a pretty deep way, you know, because if if you think about it, ultimately, you know, he's he's holding the cure to something. What are, there are so many things in our society that we wish we had the cure for, you know, AIDS or all sorts of types of cancer and this, that, and the third. Yeah, uh, certainly worth killing over. Yeah, I I, I would say that it, insofar as like a corporate perspective, yeah, there's more profit there's so in the much cure. Money that yeah. it's it's worth suppressing it, and yeah. you know, I, I I do think like the fact that this is sort of an anti-capitalist story is what makes it kind of a, like a punk rock thing, but it's also. No, no, like the like the the soul of this movie is kind of pure. I think the execution is kind of limited. Sure, it leaves a little bit by, to be desired. Yeah, you know. but the message is definitely there. Uh, so, so what, what's your favorite scene in the movie? My favorite scene in the movie is definitely when uh, Johnny just full on states his like that he doesn't want to be down here in the trash. He mm. wants to have his shirts laundered. He want. He wants room service. And it's like, okay, the character has, like, very clearly stated wants versus needs where, where it's like, okay, he wants to be a yuppie. He wants, like, the American superficial uh, yuppie dream. Yeah, there's, a, there's an exasperation there because he's scraping the underside of the bottom of the barrel. You know, like, he's trying to... He, he's at his most desperate point in the film. And I, I think that... You know, like it, that that driving factor, it, it definitely comes through in a lot of people that I know, and I, I think just what is spoon fed to us with movies and the news and you know live, laugh, love kind of shit. In so far as like you know, we you always feel like you're getting bullshitted, right? And he he kind of um, has like these like superficial values. He doesn't really care about anything good, but. Um, through like the struggles of like this movie and becoming like close with people who are being uh, slowly killed off by this corporate greed. Yeah, he kind of uh, <laughs> kind of doesn't really learn to reject it. Clearly, <laughs> yeah, doesn't really. He gets an out. He, he yeah, gets an he out. He gets an out though. Like yeah, where he's just time. like where he gets to live and he gets to remember who he is, yeah. which is also kind of tacked on. That was supposed to be a big procedure that he was supposed to get sure. to restore his memory. But, where, uh, where it would leave him, you know, kind of as a vegetable. But at the end of the day, you know, since he decides to 
camp with those who are for the greater good, he has this sort of pass. It does kind of fall apart, doesn't it? It's not, it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think they just needed to have like a somewhat happier ending, where it's just like, okay, yeah, you and the bodyguard, you, you guys are going to date now, and you get to remember right. your mother. You get to remember your birthday from when you were a kid. How, there's your consolation. And you <laughs> saved the world. Yeah. You gave people the cure. He I doesn't truly quite care about that part. <laughs> that if, like, hackers whistleblowed on, like, a... Like a the cure for an infectious disease and broadcast it on television people would be like okay i don't care i think that like <laughs> that that like it's oh that was the solution in every 90s movie it was just bro- hack the airwaves and broadcast the truth to the people so that the tyrants can be taken down and yeah. in like modern um like late stage capitalism that's simple that's not enough like no. we 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 have the few the truth in front of us all the time, and it doesn't change anything. It's a bit more I, futile. I don't, don't want to say as a follow-up, but in in conjunction, I kind of want to say you know with this, I watched V for Vendetta after it just uh, it came up, and I was like, hey, I haven't seen this in a while. Talk mm. talk about getting a message across. Mm. You know, there there was such this last ditch effort to broadcast the cure. In Johnny Mnemonic, whereas you know, like it, there's this martyr complex, you know, there, there's a bit of selflessness there. Uh, in or, V for Vendetta. In V for Vendetta, yeah. yeah, where where he, you know, he is, you know, part of the bomb. Like he has this plan where he is going to be, you know, part of like the the end game. Mm-hmm. Johnny's more like, I want this shit out of my head. I don't care what the social consequences are. Yeah, I, 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 this is for me. Yeah, he does become like a vehicle for good, but he's also still a deeply superficial. There's sort of like a big libertarian, just mm. like capitalist slant through this whole thing. And that sort of was the original dream of like the internet and stuff was like, there's like this freedom. Gosh, I wish the internet 2021, 2022 now. Uh, I I wish it was something like that. That, What a a head trip. We got to witness it for a little bit, uh, but, you know, now it's mostly just corporate platforms. Mm. Getting that message across. Mm. Very, uh, I don't know, things like, it's harder to write, like, uh, a... I think, like, the 90s stereotypical, like, hero's journey arc doesn't really cure uh, the problems of like modern no fucked up technological it's a band-aid for the story yeah a lot a lot of interesting stuff here's what i'm most interested in where where can we hear you perform next Uh, i uh a lot of my shows got canceled but um uh, we are doing um dark web tonight every third friday cool here at funhouse funhouse lounge Mm. in southeast portland off of 11th just before division just Google Funhouse. Yeah. Fun use house use the Google machine. The place with the uh, clown portraits. Everybody <laughs> will know what you're talking about. <laughs> there you go. Well, Ben, thank you so much for, for hanging out with me and talking Johnny Mnemonic. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Reese. This was cool. Yeah. Cheers. Always a fun time to meet up with Ben and talk mid-90s cyberpunk mindfucks. Hey, make sure you check out Ben's monthly show, Dark Web Tonight, 
which is a variety stand-up show at Funhouse Lounge, where they take a look at videos on the internet and give hilarious live commentary and insights. Definitely worth checking out that show, and you can learn more again by visiting funhouselounge.com online for show info. In the meantime, check out his set from the Midnight Mike. It had the crowd rolling. Big, like Oscar level award ceremony just for like pretty good people who didn't stand a chance in life. <laughs> just like, like people at work who know everybody's name. Just like the people who actually like try really hard, even though nothing's really gonna work out. There, every time somebody wins a gold medal, they're like, "I just want to thank my dad who drove me to the frozen lake at four in the morning every single day for six years, and now I'm an Olympic gold medalist." There's some guy who did that for their kid and their child just changed their mind about figure skating. They're just like, I don't think this is for me. I think I'm gonna get good at math instead. Like, <laughs> there are so many people putting in the work and like nobody fucking notices. There are activists who are like just as good as Malala, but they they didn't get shot in the head by the Taliban, so nobody cares. <laughs> People have been fighting for women's education in the Middle East for so long, and like Malala got sh had to get shot in the head to get a book deal, and like that sucks. <laughs> I think we as a society should like check in more. <laughs> just with the effort. Maybe the effort, the intention, instead of just like the, ooh, the drama. Malala's great, too. And you know, she's, you guys know who she is? Malala, she like got shot in the head by the Taliban advocate for women's education in the middle of, we all know, okay. I didn't want to sound pretentious, but now I did. I feel like, do we know who that is? Me checking in was like, oh, he thinks we don't know who Malala is. Oh, okay, well, I guess fuck me. I look like I don't know who Malala is. And I'm sorry if I did that. Yeah, I guess I'm done. <laughs> mm, yes, it's time for your water cooler fact. And if you've been listening to this show, you've probably heard a couple of the water cooler facts by now. But what exactly does that mean? Well, let me tell you. It's one of those little nugget morsels of information that you can store in the old noggin. Keep it safe and load it up for that inevitable interaction you'll have at the water cooler with someone from your office whose name you can't remember despite having worked with them for at least nine months. 
This is a way to overcome that awkwardness after saying, hey, you. For instance, did you know that a cloaca is a fuckhole and a shithole? Okay, this fact will be a little bit more work appropriate, a little less NSFW than that one, and a little bit more on topic uh, Johnny Mnemonic-wise. So here we go. Um, it took today's guest to bring this to light for me, but it actually turns out that Keanu Reeves either has an affinity for the name John, or is coincidentally involved in multiple projects where his character has the first name John. We have the following. Johnny Utah from Point Break in 1991. We have Jonathan Harker from Bram Stoker's Dracula in 1992. Don John in Much Ado About Nothing in 1993. Johnny Mnemonic, of course, in 1995. John Constantine in the awesome biblically-influenced film Constantine in 2005. John Wall in Generation Um from 2013. We have John Wick uh, in all three John Wick films that have come out so far. There is a project in the works called Rain, for which I couldn't find a real synopsis for so far, other than that he's based on an assassin character from the spy novels by Barry Eisler, uh, but he plays a character named, you guessed it, John Rain. That makes eight total films that Keanu has starred in so far where his character's first name is a variation of the name John. What that's all about is anyone's guess. Also, just to reiterate, the character he voices and acts out for the video game Cyberpunk 2077 is also named Johnny Silversmith. Coincidence? I'd just like to take a second to recognize how awesome Keanu Reeves is as a person and actor. The guy came from like basically a lower middle class family and faced a ton of adversity to become one of the most beloved action actors of our time. That's probably why he has an affinity for characters with the name John, as in the every person namesake our society ascribes to a nondescript person. Also, there are countless instances of people who have encountered him as being a rad dude, so Thanks, Keanu, for being excellent! As always, I'd like to acknowledge the sources for today's episodes. Besides the combined nerd knowledge between myself and my lovely wife, Amanda, those sources would be IMDb, Wikipedia, because if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true, Wired.com, and Ranker.com. Thanks to the nerds across those platforms for compiling interesting data for this and many movies and shows. Next week is actually a first for Science Factual. We're going to cover a film that has come out very recently, which is something I tend to avoid in order to give people a chance to see the films and shows that we cover on the show. But the very awesome and very funny Michael J. Phelps wanted to get into the recently released Don't Look Up. If you haven't seen this sci-fi-based social and ecological commentary film, I highly suggest giving it a watch. You can currently see it on Netflix, so hit up that family member you only talk to on occasion for streaming services passwords and get on to it. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Science Factual. You can catch past episodes on Mixcloud and Spotify, as well as fresh new episodes live every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. Only on Shady Pines Radio. Maybe 20. Really? What, what do you think Lundgren brought to the Eastern Market if he was so shoehorned in? <clears throat> the director was pissed. 
He was like, I, why do we have to add Dolph Lundgren to it? And they're like, yeah, it's good. It'll, it'll people will watch it. Honestly, every movie should just shoehorn Dolph Lundgren I could, into it. I, I would be down for that. Have you guys seen <laughs> In the Name of the King 2? So this movie... You're, you ask that like I've seen In the Name of the King 1. Yeah, so In the Name of the King 1 isn't good. Oh, in the Name of the King 2 is like Dolph Lundgren is like a special ops dude and he's having his annual drink uh, where he like uh, has a shot and just looks at a, a picture of his shot old what? platoon. Just like aged whiskey or whatever. And he's like looking, he's like in his den look, in, looking at like his old, the picture of his old platoon and you assume that everybody's dead and he's the last of them. And then a portal opens in his room that goes to a land of like kings and dragons and treasures and like princesses and he gets sucked in and they're just like oh maybe you're the chosen one he's like i don't care about any of this kid i i don't i i just want to get back home oh the and shittier the, version of army of darkness it's kind of like a i was gonna say a, Yan- a yankee yeah. and king Arthur, arthur's court it's but... fucking cool though it's like a it, eastern like, block uh, it's a pretty good movie <laughs> what, what is it what is it called again in the name of the king too it's not good but it's like a bad movie that's pretty funny like uh it's actually like, the, like when Johnny it Demond. sucks when it sucks <laughs> it's good because um like so like they have this like russian ballerina actress named natasha malti she played blood rain in all the blood rain movies and a, i used to play those video games hardcore i want to yeah. see what percentage of all Russian actresses get named Natasha in a film. I wonder. Is that a typecast? No, because she's a princess. Or she's like a like a kingly person in this kingly woman. Yeah, is that like a handsome woman? Yeah. No, no, a handsome woman is like uh, like acting, and she has this one line where she where she like Janet Reno. They just had to write her out of the movie. (laughs) They had to write her out of the movie real quick, and she was just like uh, who Janet Reno? Not Janet Reno. Uh, She's just like she rolls her ankle and and um, just walking through the woods. Nothing important. And and Dolph Lundgren's just like you're not going anywhere on this leg, and she's like. Sons of whores, I have failed you. And it's probably the worst line I've ever heard in any fucking uh, movie ever. And I had to like rewind it a bunch of times because it was really funny. It's worse. It's 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 worse than when Keanu Reeves goes on his spiel about wanting a ten thousand dollar a night hooker and a Mexican beer. That is a bad scene. The, his acting is bad there, the but that's movie, a good he's scene. He's a robot, and yeah. then for this one scene, he's just some guy for like forty seconds. Yeah, that movie fucking sucks, dude. Like, uh, <laughs> I want to know. I'm so much, glad I did an episode about it. I want to know everyone. how much of Henry Rollins they had to edit out. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is going on? You know, all my life, I've been careful to stay in my own corner, looking out for number one, no complications. Now suddenly, I'm responsible for the entire fucking world, and everybody and his mother is trying to kill me if, if, my head doesn't blow up first. Maybe it's not 
just about you anymore. Listen. You listen. You see that city over there? That's where I'm supposed to be. Not down here with the dogs and the garbage and the fucking last month's newspapers blowing back and forth! I've had it with them! Had it with you! I've had it with all this! I want room service! I want the club sandwich! I want the cold Mexican beer! I want a $10,000 a night hooker! And you know what, if, if I lived in the uh, dystopian future that they lived in, I would probably want the same thing. Hey, thanks for listening into this week's episode. I appreciate you. Um, you know, we've been putting this show on for a few weeks now, coming up on a few months. And, you know, thank you so much to Shady Pines Radio and to everyone who listens in. Uh, we really appreciate it. And it makes it worth every moment of doing the painful, painful research it takes to bring you these amazing facts on a weekly basis. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. Mm -hmm.